0: Going on, everybody. Welcome to the Work Rate Podcast. This is our AEW review. I am Mike Fenn. I am going it alone this week because Brad is stuck at work. Um, yeah, this is this has been a good week. I I beat Sifu I on PlayStation. I fucking I beat all the bosses. I got the I got the bad ending. I got the good ending. Very proud of myself. Very hard game. It's got me amped up as hell to play Elden Ring maybe tonight at 12. I don't know. I'm old. I don't know if I'll be staying up that late to play it. Um, but yeah, excited as hell. Maybe made me, It's maybe made me a little overconfident for that game, but I'm excited. I'm ready to try this new open world they got going on. In the wrestling world, this is a very crazy week, very crazy day, very crazy two days. We got AEW signing Swerve, uh, Swerve Strickland. I'm really excited about that. Um, I, excuse me, got a frog in my throat. I had the, uh, I sort of had the idea that this was coming because Will Washington over on Graffiti on Fightful had said that uh there were he was thinking there he he's uh Swerve's cousin and he was saying that he was there was going to be some Swerve headlines coming up maybe that they're going to have Swerve on their podcast but he seemed to sort of let it slip like some things were going to be happening with Swerve soon and with uh his non-compete like offic- i think it might it is officially up and he's he's already made his debut in New Japan as i'm speaking right now terminus 2 is happening and he's wrestling there tonight and i can't remember oh yes uh leo rush had to cancel so i believe he's facing uh richards which is going to be amazing as a replacement stevie richards i believe is his name the fucking i think that's his name hope i didn't butcher that but yeah so that that's gonna be awesome um we had there was a report by sean ross Sapp that jonathan cresham was backstage at um at aw at the aw taping which is very interesting that's the second time he's been there so i imagine they're probably in talks trying to woo him to join He still got that Ring of Honor title. I don't know if he would sign anywhere until he eventually drops that. Who knows? Like, I would think that he would take it until April, whenever Ring of Honor, at the very least, when Ring of Honor runs their next show. But we'll have to see. Um, Today we got the news that uh, Cesaro has not been released, but his contract expired with WWE. I would be very shocked if he did not show up in AEW. His He's got a lot of connections there. All the Ring of Honor guys that he came up with, all the indie guys he came up with, um, good friends with CM Punk, maybe not so good friends with, um, with Eddie Kingston, but who knows with that stuff, because sometimes Eddie Kingston... He likes to kayfabe it a bit when talking about people that he hates. Um, so we'll see. I would have, I would love to see him there. I think it would actually be, I think he would succeed anywhere he goes. But I do think AEW would be almost maybe a bit more of a struggle for him. And when I say that, I mean AEW. Within AEW, everybody can work. Like, everybody's got a great skill set, like, in Ring. And if they don't, they're, they're not on TV, let's be honest. But what sets people apart there is their ability to both work and talk. It's the talkers and the people that have all, a lot of charisma. Not that Cesaro doesn't have charisma, because he does. Um, but we haven't seen him they've never really given him the opportunity to talk in WWE. So it'd be interesting to see what he can do there. But uh, yeah, I think, I think it would be a harder battle for him. Whereas if he went to impact, he'd be a star right away. Um, and in new Japan, it doesn't fucking matter if you can talk. <laughs> like They don't give a shit. <laughs> um, all you have to do is like wave to the crowd. And like, it's, their whole their whole system is about doing the talking in the ring it's not really about jumping on the mic afterwards they they pretty much just thank the crowd and point to their next opponent and then they go go on about their day um and with new japan like with the amount of people that have been released and so many people say, oh, I'd love them to go to New Japan. Nobody ever goes to New Japan. Like how? Just Jonah? He's the only one. Jonah's the only one who went to New Japan. So like at this point, that it's very unlikely. But it would be cool. And they need somebody like him. So it'll be fun. Um, I'm trying to think. Is there anything else that I missed? Am I missing any other news? I don't think so i think that's it so let's get get to this um let's get to this show i thought this was an excellent show i had a great time watching it it started with the tag team battle royal which is my favorite of all the aw battle royals i don't like their casino battle royals i think that gimmick frankly kind of sucks um but when they're all in the ring And they start there especially with the tag team because i feel like with the one member getting eliminated and the other guy still having a chance to win it really spices things up a lot and um, when we had matt matt jackson the first time they did this he eliminated both of proud and powerful at the end when he was down two on one it was really cool it was uh really exciting and i feel like they nailed it again this time um, I'm gonna run down, I guess, a few of the the notable moments. I liked that Butcher and the Blade right away sort of continued that rivalry with best friends. I like that there was some nice continuity there. Um we had um Red Dragon continuing co- the continuity as well, going right after Best Friends. They eliminated Chuck. Um there was that incredible uh double super kick spot to Santana as he did the moonsault off the ropes. Fucking clean as hell. I loved it. Um and then as we were going to the end of the match, the showdown between FTR, the Bucks, Red Dragon, Silver, Trent, and Santana. Oh my god, this is it just it shows you how deep their tag division is. Cause there were teams that weren't even in this. There was no Malachi Black, there was no um Kings of the Black Throne, there was no Penta and Phoenix, um, there was no who was the who were the other guys that weren't there? Um there's one other team, the uh the blondes weren't there as well. So there the acclaimed weren't there. There were a lot of good teams that were not in this match. It, like bear country, oh, you can go on and on forever. And we're likely going to be getting more because I've heard there's not so much a rumor, but with the Casino Battle Royale, there will be a Joker. And Joker is generally debuts. I don't know who could possibly debut. I'd, um, maybe like maybe Biff Busick and what's his name? I can't remember the other guy's name, but the, uh, they were a tag team together on NXT. Um they could possibly come over, but I mean, I can't really think of anybody else. Um, yeah, so anyways, all these guys in the ring at the same time was awesome. I really liked Nick Jackson. Um, sort of get Nick Jackson saving O'Reilly to then be eliminated himself was kind of interesting because, as you find out later in the match, it is Red Dragon that eliminates uh The young bucks at the end. So to see Nick Nick Jackson save a member of Red Dragon, I thought was a cool little piece of um, storytelling. There, I really I really liked Orange Cassidy saving Trent with uh, the on on the shoulder spot. I thought that was really cool. Um, I liked. uh, I absolutely loved when it got down to like the the final. The final few people which was it was only solo people it was santana dax trent kyle o'reilly silver and matt jackson the they had that awesome showdown with santana and trent where they met in the middle of the ring and all the fans remembered the the parking lot brawl that they had they gave them the huge pop which was great because that match happened during the pandemic so they don't really know how the fans would react to that um then they had uh they were they're on the apron they were battling which is a bad spot because matt jackson and kyle o'reilly eliminate both of them which you could see that coming but still a very cool spot and then dax and o'reilly they just murder each other with chops and kicks and elbows they end up on the apron as well again Not a good spot to be. And of course, Bob. well, not of course, but Bobby Fish emerges on the outside. He pulls down um, Dax off the apron, which you'd think the ref would catch it, but he didn't. Whatever. It's fine. Um, Then we have O'Reilly duping Matt Jackson. O'Reilly goes to eliminate John Silver. He feigns that his shoulders hurt. So Matt Jackson goes to eliminate him. O'Reilly dumps both of them. Very cool stuff. I like that quite a bit. I'm just going to take a sip of water. <clears throat> Doing all the talking is hard. Okay. Yeah. So this is really cool. I like This is really cool. I like this a lot. We had um the bucks running running back into the ring afterwards. They're mad at Red Dragon, which it's kind of funny because it's like with with Kyle O'Reilly eliminating Matt Jackson, like, how did he? Th- what did he think was going to happen once he eliminated Silver? That they were just going to high five and and say, yeah, the like the we tie, we both get to go to the match. Like, what? <laughs> uh, the Bucks being angry here is kind of funny, but so they're jaw jacking back and forth, and then Hangman's music hits. He comes running down. He starts fucking going after red dragon he's knocking them out which makes sense because they attacked him the week before and he looks at uh at nick and matt and specifically at matt jackson and matt jackson gives him a shrug and they duck out of the ring which i really liked that's a a nice nod to matt jackson giving hangman the approval uh at his pre at his previous match which i like that a lot Okay, then we have, yes. So he's fighting. He's fighting Red Dragon. Then Hangman turns around. There's Adam Cole. He catches the super kick. They're brawling. He's getting the better of, of Adam Cole. He goes for the buckshot lariat, but Hangman or Adam Cole's pulled out of the ring by Red Dragon. John Silver's still around. He does a like a I think like a cannonball senton onto onto red dragon throws bobby fish back in the ring he gets hit by the buckshot good shit then hangman he grabs a mic he sits down on a on a chair in the middle of the ring and he says it's time for a story time with adam page baby which i thought was cool i loved bobby fish screaming about how it's gimmick infringement how they're gonna sue him how it's like, no, it's Cole. You're not Cole. It's, this is good stuff. And he, he's telling us, he's telling the story about back in 2008, there was a young overconfident prick. His name was Adam Cole. He had a big chip on his shoulder and he became a wildly successful champion everywhere he went. But then all of a sudden his friends were gone and he decided, you know what? I want to go back with my friends. I want to, I want to get to uh, the height of my popularity and go for the most precious prize of all, the AEW World Championship. And he kept his eye on the prize, and he kept stepping toward this uh, toward this goal that he had, but he didn't realize it with, with each step he was getting closer and closer to a six-foot hole in the ground, one that Adam Page will be happily, but that will happily put him in there with the sound of a buckshot. I thought... This was a fantastic promo from Hangman. It was cool. It was theatrical. It made him seem like a big deal. It put him back in a kind of a main event storyline because Adam Cole has felt like a main event. The Bucks have felt like a main event. Red Dragon has, but Hangman hasn't for a little bit. Um, It was good to see him weave his way back in there again. I like that a lot. I think that match is going to, be incredible when it happens but i think it's sort of it's a little bit under the radar right now and uh yeah i cannot wait i don't think adam cole's winning um i don't know what what brad thinks but um actually i think brad might have said that he thinks adam cole but We'll see. I think, I think it's Hangman's to win. I still think uh, MJF will be the guy to take that belt off of him, but it's, at some point, AEW's going to have to swerve us a bit with some of these because every, every title change has been predictable. Okay. So, speaking of MJF, he had, in my opinion, one of the great promos of all time, and partly because it was so out of character for him. It this was he did a promo that he did essentially his uh his supervillain origin story. He told us his supervillain origin story and it was really cool. Like when like um Michael B. Jordan in in Black Panther or fuck who I can't think of another cool villain. Whatever, Michael B. Jordan, I don't care. Um, you know, just having us relate to MJF, the reason why he's such an irredeemable prick now is because of the shit that he had to go through when he was younger, and I believe most of us can relate to that. So I'm going to talk about this. So MJF comes out. Immediately, he says to cut his music before he even, he's even gotten to the ring. I could see his eyes when he was walking up. They looked glassy. Like they looked his eyes looked watery. I was like, okay, this is interesting. He's going for something different here. His face was very sombre. He gets in the ring and he starts talking about the photograph of him and CM Punk. And he's saying that Yes, that was not just another Friday for him. Um he was saying that when he was younger, he would wake up Every morning, and just dream of professional wrestling, of being a professional wrestler. He loved professional wrestling, still does, and he loves AEW, which is interesting. And the fans—this was weird because he was pouring his heart on out on his sleeve, and you could tell that they were going for a different reaction with the fans. But the fans were like giving him like, "Shut the fuck up, Chance!" It's like, no, nah, time and place, guys. That's not what this is right now. Which kind of annoyed me, but. Anyways, like he said that that day that he met Punk meant the world to him. He talked about how when he was a kid, he would he would get picked on. He had ADHD. He was small. Um, the one thing he said the one thing that he was good at as a kid was football, and he tried out for his football team. He said he was one of only two Jewish kids that tried out. He said that. He was small. He was undersized, but he made it, and he was really proud of himself. And he saw the other kids that were on the team approaching him in the hallway. He's like, "Oh, my new friends! This is going to be great." And he said they started throwing rolls of quarters at him. And and this is his words. He said they said, "Pick them up, little Jew boy," as they threw them at him. And he was crying. He was devastated. Um, he was getting bullied mercilessly. He went home, and all he all he wanted to do was crawl into bed and cry and just be away from the world. But he remembered that, no, that night, that Friday night, he was going to go see CM Punk, his hero. And he did, and he met the best in the world. And he knew from that point off, from that point forward, he wanted to be the best in the world. And this was in 2013 in 2014 cm punk abandoned him abandoned all wrestling fans he quit on the world he quit on him and it crushed him so from that point on he's like you know what i'm gonna go to college i'm gonna do football so he went to college he went to do football he was still that and again his words that little jew boy but he was successful he was on the field his coaches loved him. Um, he had stacks of offers to go to all different places, but and he had the the world all out in front of him, but he wasn't happy. He was sad. He was depressed. He was on message boards talking about wrestling, and he saw this one photo of CM Punk and and Brian Danielson shaking hands, and from that point forward. He decided that he would become the best in the world. He would be a wrestler, but he would do it in spite of punk so and he told the world he wrote on the message board that he was going to do this. He foregoed his football scholarships, he went to train to to be a wrestler, and he became a wrestler, and he became one of the fastest rising stars ever and yes, now now c m Punk is here, and he want and he wants to challenge m j f and they're going to have their fight. And no matter what CM Punk does, he can hit him with that chain, he can make him bleed, but MJF will never give up. And it will never be as painful as that day that CM Punk gave up on him, because he will not give up on those fans. And I was flabbergasted here. Uh MJF is crying, CM Punk comes out, he comes in the ring, and he's not ready to fight, but he's looking at MJF, and MJF looks, he won't look him in the eye, He he's looking down, and Punk is saying, is this true, is what you're saying true, and MJF just sort of mouths to him, it's true, and he he walks out of the ring, he leaves, he doesn't turn back and assault CM Punk, he walks to the back, there's no angle here. This was this was amazing, and this was CM Punk having to reckon with the heartbreak and the disappointment that he legitimately gave to kids back in 2014. This is the consequence of his actions. I thought this was cool, and it was it was. A really incredible, nuanced story storytelling device that they did. And what's cool about this is some—I don't know if it's real—and it's—it's a little weird, stalkerish, whatever. But some people have gone online and searched out that photo of CM Punk and and um and Daniel Bryan's and then they found. Max Friedman's posts from that time on that website that he said that he commented on. And it appears to be real. Essentially everything that he said in this promo, he did put out there in the real world. So this promo was real. This was rooted in reality as somebody that got picked on when they were a kid. It resonated with me. Um, I thought this storyline had a lot of interesting parallels, strangely to Cobra Kai sort of like like what happens when these kids that are bullied and are bullies grow up, what do they become? Sometimes they might become MJF. I thought this was cool. Or they come out they form Cobra Kai again or whatever, but and they're teaching other kids to be bullies. It's this is this is good stuff. And I am thankful that they allowed MJF to tell this story um it's obviously not done and i think he i don't want him to sort of double cross punk and not not a double cross of punk but sort of for him to be fooling punk to let down his guard i don't want that i want this to just be the reason why mjf will be so vicious in the match is because punk um, meant so much to him and, and let him down when he was younger like I just want that to be the fuel the fuel for MJF as opposed to the reason why he can um, use it to to one up CM Punk like I don't want it to be a trick I think that is sort of disingenuous because if you look online like under like if you search Twitter for people's reactions to this it resonated with people And I think they need to respect that, or I would like them to respect that. The one other thing that I do really like about this is it shows that down the road, if they ever want to do a face turn or a redemption angle for MJF, he will be capable of doing it. I believe that he'll be capable of turning the fans onto his side. Um, I think he's just, he's a fantastic little actor and, uh, and I love that about him. Okay. So now let's move on to this match between the Kings of the Black Throne and Penta Escuro, which is Penta Dark or Penta Black and Pack. Um, this is the second time these two teams have faced each other. Um, Penta comes out with this really cool presentation, um he's with Dark Priest Abrahantis. He's coming out from behind a coming out from behind a tombstone and everything. He looks just awesome. Really cool presentation. There the there's a brawl that breaks out in the ring before the bell rings. The first official official move of the match is a four fifty off the top rope from Pack that almost wins. Amazing. Oh. Um once again, Brody King, not Brody Lee. Brody King served as the perfect roadblock for Malachi's opponents. Um, Malachi is getting beat down, and Brody King just comes in. Just, I'm just, I'm the heater. I'm just going to stop this right here. Um, yeah, he just, he just completely halted the momentum of Death Triangle at what in what is, in my opinion, one of the coolest moves I've seen in wrestling in a long time. He picks up um pack, stacks him on Penta's shoulders, and then delivers a double chop to pack that just sends him flipping over and he poison Rana's uh Pentagon. I just lost my shit when I saw this. I could not believe it. It's so cool. I love the poison Rana. it's one of my favorite moves, and the fact that he did it with like a sort of like Inverted double team fucking thing with the chop. Ugh. It's so good. It's so evil looking. I loved it. Um Death Triangle tried to finish the match with a Dante's Inferno, but it got stopped by Malachi. Got or no. It got uh but it got stopped and then the uh the Death Triangle goes for the uh, foot stomp, fear factor, but Black intercepts it, and he attempts to hit Panta with the Black Mist, but Panta puts his his hand over Malachi Black's mouth, which forces Malachi Black to choke on his own mist, which was cool as hell. And then while he's choking, he rolls him up for the victory. Really cool stuff, but Brody's not done, because obviously Brody wasn't pinned, so he comes running and he's just laying out Black Triangle. or Black Drangle, death triangle black joins in they go to fucking sever penta's head with a shovel that penta brought to the ring and he's about to decapitate the old boy and the lights go out the lights come back on and there's buddy matthews we knew he would come um malachi black he he drops down onto his back he he puts his hands up he's he's begging him off but if we remember last week, Buddy Buddy Matthews was in their he was in he was in their vignette video. So he's not there to attack the House of Black. He's there to help them. And of course that's the case. He attacks Pack. he attacks um he attacks Penta and Malachi Black orders Mal he orders Buddy to do this like vicious looking um curb stomp onto a chair looked gnarly look, looked look very good i liked it um i think this is a very good spot for buddy murphy to be in because he's sort of again in that mold of cesaro that i talked about earlier fantastic worker but everybody's a fantastic worker so you need to be able to talk. And he's a guy who we haven't seen talk before. Maybe he can. I don't know. But putting him in a group with Malachi Black, it just works. They have that history in WWE. Their storylines inter- intertwine. They both did those um, prison and sane asylum videos where they were at the same prison with the same doctor and they both broke out. He was the one who injured malachi black's eye which is cool um yeah great stuff oh speaking of guys who can't talk i just remembered some other news i didn't talk about somehow brian cage who we all thought was done with AEW, his option got picked up um that's a head scratcher to me i thought he was done i don't know anybody i mean you'll see a a, a few people online who like brian cage I think he didn't work. I think everything they tried with him fell flat. I think he knew that. I think Tony Khan knew that. Um, There's a reason why he stopped using him. I don't know why he extended him. (laughs) It's strange. We'll find out. Um, We haven't seen him in months. It's felt like three or four months now since we saw him. But, I mean, he's going to stick around for another year. Again, I don't know why. There's no spot for him but okay. All right. So next we had speaking of people who can talk as opposed to the opposite. We have Eddie Kingston versus Chris Jericho in a town hall promo off kind of thing. So Eddie Kingston comes out, he comes out to the ring. There's security in the ring. He's looking at them like, who are these goons? Where are they? who are these security guards and he stands beside them like they're the guards at buckingham palace and they won't react to him which is funny um jericho comes down to to judas um fucking eddie kingston's just blowing it off laughing at him he's like can we turn off this fucking music now he's like are we done massaging jericho's ego this is ridiculous um Jericho says that he arranged the security because he wants to talk to Eddie Kingston instead of fighting like common street thugs. And Eddie says, are you calling me a street thug? You don't even know what that word means. Um, and I I love this because first of all, it's fucking shitty for him to say that Eddie Kingston's a, a street thug. Of course, uh, old boomer Jericho would say that. And then also... Uh, st- the street thug is what Jericho called Santana and Ortiz when he first brought them into the inner circle. He said, these are my street thugs. So this is what he thinks of them. So we know that Jericho thinks that street thugs are pejorative because he used it as an insult towards Eddie Kingston. But when he brought them into inner circle, he used it as his street thugs. I liked this. It just shows how Jericho thought of them the whole time they were working with them. Um, and he says he doesn't know why they're doing this. He's not a sports entertainer. Like he'll fight Jericho, but he doesn't ha- he doesn't have to have this forced fake a war of words with him in the middle of the ring? He says, he says Tony Tony Khan, let's get Chris Statlander out here. Let's get Willow Nightingale, who I love. Um, let's get her out here. Let's have another women's match, which I thought was a funny little shot i mean he didn't use the words let's have another women's match but that's sort of what he was implying he's like we don't need to hear from these two gray beards in the middle of this ring fucking doing their sports entertainment shit when we could have the women out here in a second match on this show and i thought that was great um he said this is he says, this is a wrestling company, not a sports entertainment company. He said, my man, you can go down the block if you want to go back and join WWE. I love that. We get huge Eddie Kingston chance here. And then Jericho promises, ah, yes. But the, you see, the difference here is that this sports entertainment, this will actually be entertaining. And Eddie's like, oh, okay, we'll see. Um, Jericho says that when he first heard of Eddie, he said, everyone was so excited to... to that you were joining the company. Oh, Eddie Kingston's here. Eddie's here. Eddie's here. And Jericho was wondering, who the hell's Eddie Kingston? And then he realized, he's like, "Oh, I know why I don't know who he is because Eddie looks like a jobber. He's not somebody that he would ever think twice about." But when Jericho saw him work and heard him talk, it was clear that Eddie could be a great babyface in the company. And then Eddie like pipes in and he goes, what's a baby face, which is fantastic. Um, And Jericho says again, he says, it's a, it's a great 20 year story of a 38 year old. Finally, despite his physical and his mental limitations, finally making it. But he says, I never, I never really bought into your sob story because I know that you're just jealous of me. That's what this is all about. Um, Eddie, Eddie's, je- you're jealous of me because me, Chris Jericho, I made it at 22 years old. I got farther at 22 years old than you have your whole career. And deep down, you know that you can never reach the heights of me. Um, he says, I know that your heroes have always been failures. Your uncle who's died, he was a failure your father who died he was a failure and eddie kingston the whole time is saying you watch your fucking words man you watch your words." and he's getting closer to him he's getting closer to him he looks like he's about to hit him which he doesn't um yeah good shit um eddie tells him the the only reason that jericho was able to reach those heights is because eddie wasn't there to stop him which is nice. And then he tells Jericho, you better bring the WCW Jericho. You better not bring that Mimosa Jericho. You better bring the guy that scared Levesque in WWE, the guy that fought Tenru. the guy that turned WCW on its head. You, you better bring the Chris Jericho that won the AEW world title. Because if you don't, Eddie Kingston is going to eat you alive. And Jericho says, you know what? I know that your biggest fear is that you cannot win the big one. It in AEW, Jericho is the big one. Is the big one. This, This was so good. I loved it. I thought Jericho brought his A game here. I thought it was really good. I thought Eddie absolutely brought his a game i love that chris jericho took some low blows here to ensure that the crowd was against him i like that because if they both did their usual routine they would both be getting cheers and then that's not what you want so i love this i think the match is going to be i think the match is going to be a pleasant surprise um i very much hope that kingston goes over and i I don't think they're tone deaf enough to think that Chris Jericho should be the one to go over. That would be a horrible look for them, so I think that's what's happening here. Especially with Chris Jericho now officially playing the heel in this scenario. It's good. It's natural. He didn't have to do a heel turn. It just happened naturally. I kind of like the AW does that. Like Guys just sort of turn heel naturally they don't have to betray somebody with the exception of the bucks because super kicks are fun okay so the next match we had was probably the most forgettable match on the card for me that was starks versus 10 um at first like right away i was like how the hell does 10 keep getting in these big spots he's in he's always in every tournament Um. He's always in every qualifying match for all these events. I don't know why that is. I think maybe he's just a big, credible-looking dude for the person who advances to beat. I guess that's just kind of his role. Um, and that's what this match was. Starks look, Starks looked fine. Um, his facials were excellent. He makes the people he wrestles look good. Um, he made Ten look like he was beating the shit out of them. Um, he really sells getting stretched out and beaten very well. I loved that when Ten had him locked into the full Nelson, which is his finisher. I loved that he reached back and tried to pull the mask off, which had Ten drop the full Nelson, and then Starks could uh, hit him with the spear. And I thought that was that was good. Where I really like the dynamic that we're gonna get with Starks and Hobbs both in that latter match. And uh, right now, Starks looks like like a fucking ant compared to all the other guys that are in this. So, I don't think he's going to be the one getting chucked around. I think we will we'll find out later in this episode who that is. Um, but yeah, this is going to be cool. Obviously, this is this is Tad's Tad, team. Taz stacking the deck again in his team's favor, which to me means neither of those two guys are winning. But you never know okay next we cut to a promo or like a little backstage segment with uh with red dragon and cole and brandon cutler's filming and before the uh before red dragon really has anything to say the bucks come running in they're asking brandon why the hell he's filming this because obviously he's their filmmaker not red dragons um they they uh they tell Red Dragon that, hey, that what you did out there, that was a double cross, which again, not a double cross. How did they think this battle royal was gonna go? I still find that funny. Um The Bucks say that now they're motivated even more next week to win the to win their battle royal so they can kick their asses at the pay per view. Um Red Dragon and the Bucks go their separate way. Um Cole blows up at Red Dragon saying that he needs the full team clicking on all cylinders if he wants to keep his advantage for the for his AEW title match at the pay per view. I like this. Um I don't think the Bucks are winning their battle royal next week. I think they are going to get screwed out of that match, probably by um probably by the um <sighs> Red Dragon. Um, I think in a way that is sort of similar to maybe how Bobby Fish eliminated Dax on this episode, maybe like from the side of the ring pulling them out, or similar to how Hangman Adam Page grabbed their foot in that one match to screw them, like so- something like that. And maybe Hangman comes out to defend them and they see that he's their friend and blah, blah, blah. And maybe that's how they win. I don't know. Maybe Hangman comes out to help them. But my personal thought is that Santana and Ortiz are going to win. I think that they have been sort of building them sort of parallel, like within this Eddie Kingston versus Chris Jericho story. They've been building Santana and Ortiz to also be going for the title, just sort of like on the side, sort of like out of sight, out of mind, but still going up the ranks, I think they're positioned to win this. That would be my pick. Um, I think that would be a hell of a match, and I actually think they would be... I don't know if they would win the pay-per-view match. I think Red Dragon would probably win, and then that would start a a Bucks feud, or Santana Ortiz win, and then Red Dragon feuds with the Bucks without the title, because they don't need it. And then uh, Santana Ortiz get the title. That's what I would like, because at a certain point you have to uh, get the title away from the young Bucks universe to put it on other teams so that they can make names for themselves. And it's hard to do. Like it's hard to not have to not have the Bucks or the team the Bucks are feuding with with the title, and have it matter to anybody else. Anyways, I'm I'm getting a little lost here. Okay, next match was Jade versus the Bunny. I thought this was really good. Um, I loved how fearless the Bunny was in this match. Uh, she got right up in Jade's face. She gave Jade, all a, or the Bunny got a lot of offense in this, which is nice because Jade has to struggle a bit for us to kind of cheer for her, really. Because if somebody's too dominant, they turn into a Goldberg. Or at least for for me, I never liked Goldberg because he never struggled. And he just rolled over everybody and then he became the villain to me. So I don't want that to happen to Jade. I want her to struggle a bit. So I liked Bunny getting some offense in this. I liked her getting, smashing Jade into the barricade, which is probably one of the first times Jade's been smashed into the barricade before, which is cool i love the sliding elbow in the corner um matt hardy ran down during the break towards the end of the match he jumps up on the jumps up on the apron throws in the brass knuckles into the ring Um, mark sterling sees that he slides in the title belt um bunny goes to punch with the knucks gets hit with the title um they battle back and forth. Bunny hits a super kick. She goes to hit the, she goes to hit her uh, down the rabbit hole, which is her finish to Jade. Jade counters it, hits her with the jaded, cool finish. I really liked that. Um, Hardy and Sterling both got ejected, which was nice. Um, uh, Tony Schiavone afterwards goes to interview Jade. She grabs the mic from him and says so tells tony to cut the shit then she says she's 28 and oh soon she'll be 30 and oh soon to be 50 and oh. the question is who's next and i love that i've i absolutely fucking love that um like the, the uh, tying her to Goldberg, there was was cool. Despite what I just said about how I don't like Goldberg, I still like what they're doing there. It's it's a nice little job at WWE in a playful way. Um, Jay uh, Ty Conti's music hits. Ty Conti comes out. She says, "I'm not the I'm not just next. I'm the one who's going to beat you, beat your ass at Revolution." She run. She charges down the ring. She gets in Jade's face. Um, The bunny, who's still at ringside, hasn't forgotten her previous rivalry with Ty Conti. So she she attacks uh, Ty, she gets hit with a Ty KO, then Jade plants Ty Conti with the pump kick, and then Anna Jay comes down with, with a chair, but the damage is done, everyone leaves. This is cool. I still think it's funny that Ty Conti and uh, Anna Jay are still starting and ending all feuds by running down to save the other one with a chair i don't know how many times i'm going to watch them do that but it's kind of funny i don't know who keeps pitching that idea but we've seen it guys um yeah i like that ty conti is going to be facing jade that is easily her toughest test that's gonna there's gonna be a lot of stiff pump kicks in that one i like that um this is gonna be cool i'm excited that it's on the pay-per-view That means that for the first time ever, I believe, first time ever, we're going to be getting two women's matches on a pay-per-view card, which will not be on the undercard, which is nice. Um, That's really good. This is all I wanted. I mean, it's not all I wanted. But, like, how can you have one match per -per pay-per-view for the women? This is ridiculous. I'm glad they're doing this. Thank you. This is good stuff. Okay. So, next, we had a fun little backstage segment. Normally, I wouldn't talk about this stuff, but this this amused me. um We have Keith Lee in the back. he's being interviewed by I think um who cares? Well, one of the backstage interviewers, and he the person asks Keith Lee what he uh thinks about his opponents for the revolution ladder match, and Keith says yeah we we have Wardlow, we have Hobbes." We have Starks. Starks is the only one I know. And then Ricky Starks and Hobbs walk in frame. And they, they're telling Oh, Keith Lee, yes, it's so good to see you. How are you doing, my fellow? Which is so funny, because he's making fun of Keith Lee with how he talks. I loved his, like, Hello, good sir. Really funny stuff. He says, In this company, Team Taz runs the show. It doesn't matter what you've done elsewhere, um, which is fine. It's whatever. But then it just shows a tantalizing uh, eye-to-eye with Hobbs and Lee, and I cannot wait for that to happen in the match. It's going to be really cool. I just want Keith Lee to do a fucking flip in that match. That's all I want. I want all these hosses to be going toe-to-toe and the big man does like a fucking flip off a ladder or some shit. I I just I need this. I need this in my life. Okay, so according to my notes, I am at the the end of the show already. God damn. I'm I'm moving quick when Brad's not here. All right, whatever. Anyways, Garcia versus Danielson. So here this was this is a fantastic match. This is a dream match for me personally. Um, a recent dream match. I didn't necessarily know who Daniel who uh, Garcia was three four years ago. I've had the pleasure of watching him live in Toronto. He uh, he wrestled at a local show because he is from Buffalo, so he wrestled in he wrestled in Ontario a lot. Um, he must he would have been super young then. Had to have been like he's what like. 22 23 he had to have been like 19 or 20 at the time which is crazy to think about um because he was already super over with the crowd but he's against danielson and Garcia's. he's essentially fucking danielson jr with maybe a little more intensity if that makes sense which is weird um but yeah this match is absolutely for me just fucking vicious european uppercuts at the be- at, from right, straight from the beginning danielson is begging garcia to show to show the violence garcia is obliging um they're going hold hold for hold just exchanging back and forth is everything you want from this match um he's wrapping danielson's leg around the post he's targeting that knee um he he catches danielson's corner kicks hits him with a dragon screw and another dragon screw brilliant strategy because it's uh danielson is he's known for his kicks and he's known for his knees and if danielson's knees are hurt then every time he does his offense it'll hurt him as well this is insane that the that danielson's not the one doing it that, to garcia but it's the other way around i love this um I loved Garcia countering the cattle mutilation into an ankle lock. I thought that was smooth as fuck. Um, and then in a spot that I just is goofy, but I fucking loved it. They go to do a Greco Roman knuckle lock and they're doing strike exchanges with the Greco knuckle lock where they're elbowing each other. I, I'd never seen that before. It was, it was funny and it was cool and I loved it. Um, then Danielson, he blocks a third dragon, a dragon screw. He counters it into the head stomps, just completely knocking out Garcia unconscious. And before he locks on the, tri- the triangle choke with the double buys, Danielson wins, of course. Um, this is exactly what Danielson wanted. Um, he asked the crowd if Garcia was violent enough I believe the crowd said yes, but you can never really tell. Um, and 2.0 jump in. They attack Danielson because they're upset at Danielson talking shit about them, saying that they're not good mentors. Um, they're laying them out. The the fans start chanting Moxley's name. Moxley obliges. His music hits. 2.0 is looking around. They don't know where he is. He comes out of the crowd. He lays them out. Garcia tries to hit him with a chair. He blocks the chair, grabs Garcia, paradigm shift, and then Danielson picks up the chair. He tells Moxley, I don't need this to make somebody bleed. He tosses it out of the ring. He said that he'd be happy to oblige Moxley's um, Moxley's challenged, uh, saying that if you... If you want to bleed with me, I'm happy to do this. We can do this at Revolution, but don't be surprised if you're the one bleeding. Fucking love this. This is perfect. This is everything I want. Obviously, it's not going to end at Revolution. Um, I hope... I hope they do this fucking dojo angle with the two of these guys that they're... I don't know if they're... I don't know if it's they're vying for these young students... Like attention or what, because I don't really think uh, Moxley would care, but maybe Danielson sicks them on Moxley. I don't know. Either way, it's cool as hell. I just want those guys to get trained up by Danielson in a dojo. I think it would be awesome. He's walking around with his young boys, but his young boys are actually a bunch of killers. Fucking awesome. I cannot wait. Okay, so looking at this Rampage card, all right, the first thing I hear, see here is Orange Cassidy versus Anthony Bowens in the final. I don't know if this is the final. We have four guys. Okay, so this would be the fifth one, and then the sixth one, I believe, is the is the extra guy. I th- I think the sixth is the surprise, normally, or at least it was last time. I believe it was uh, Ethan Page, if I'm not mistaken. Okay, so it's Orange Cassidy versus Bowens. Orange Cassidy is, he has to win, I would say. He should be the odds-on favorite. And this is the guy that I think is going to get fucking Bradley Beald from one corner, caught by another monster, Bradley Beald to another corner. He's going to go like corner to corner, getting chucked across the ring. It's going to be amazing. They're going to be fucking hitting Orange Cassidy back and forth with the ladders like fucking ping pong balls. It's going to be great. I cannot wait. I don't know what role Starks plays in there, but I'm sure they're going to set up some sort of gnarly doomsday device or something. It's going to be good. Okay, then we have Serena Deeb in a five-minute challenge. Eventually, she's going to get her comeuppance. I don't think that's this week, but you never know. At some point, someone's going to come out And they're either going to be a young person that is sort of up and coming in the company. Maybe like a Sky Blue could be a really good person. I saw a really cool GIF of her on the weekend hitting a really cool code red. Um, Eventually, that's going to happen to Deeb. Not this week, but it it is coming. Then we have Baker and Rosa in a contract signing. I'm really excited for this. AEW knows how to do contract signings. I think this is going to be awesome. And I think this feud really needs it because they haven't really interacted with each other. And I think it needs to be hot. It needs to be shown to be a big deal. And I think they're going to do that here. Then after that, we have Sammy Guevara versus Andrade. I think this is going to be fucking great. Uh, This match is going to absolutely bang. I don't know if it will if that many people will see it. I wish kind of wish it was on Dynamite, but Andrade tends to wrestle mostly on Rampage. Um this is going to be good. Um I think Sammy's going to win and uh is going to screw maybe um Darby's going to screw Sammy and then Andrade and Darby are going to face each other. <laughs> I'd like to say not at the pay-per-view because it's pretty stacked now. But um, I, I guess we'll uh, we'll see. Oh, there was one fucking... Yeah, it can't be at the pay-per-view because there's one bizarre match that's going to take place at the pay-per-view. It's going to be Matt Hardy, Andrade, and I think Isaiah Cassidy versus um, Darby, Sting... And is it Sammy? I can't remember. But it's some fucking random weird six-man match, and like, what? I, why? It's it's bizarre. It should not be on the show. Eight matches is too many matches, and fuck, people are going to be tired. They don't want to watch a fuck that six-man. I'm sorry, I'm telling you right now. But it is Darby, and people get up for Darby and Sting, so I guess. But it's very strange. Okay, so next week on Dynamite we have the Casino Tag Royale again. I don't really love it, but it is what it is. I don't love the casino stuff, but I think again there'll be some more cool storylines within the tag division. Very excited to see if it's going to be the Bucks or I. I think it's between the Bucks and Proud and Powerful, but we'll we'll find out. And then we have or and there's i heard there there is the possibility that there's a joker in this there normally is um it would be cool to see if it's a debut i i would say that uh matt hardy and jeff hardy the hardy boys would be a really cool joker but i don't think jeff hardy is available yet not that i think he cares cuz he did just announce today that he He's signing with AEW, which legally he's not allowed to do. But supposedly the rumor is that he doesn't really care and he'll fight AEW or he'll fight WWE because they released him under, like with the story and the pretense that he was under the influence that he, that it was drugs and alcohol was the reason why they released him. And then his toxicology test came back and he did not, it came back clean. So their whole story was false. Um, So I think he just kind of doesn't give a shit. So maybe, maybe it'll be Jeff Hardy and Matt, which would be interesting, but no, that doesn't make sense because Matt Hardy has that other match. So no, it can't be that not yet. So yeah, again, my pick would be Biff Busick and the other bald guy. I can't remember who the other bald guy is, but anyways. Okay, and then we have Hangman, Silver, and Reynolds versus Adam Cole and Red Dragon. That match is gonna be fun. That's a great trios match. Um it would be a, a fantastic match to open the show with. Actually, no, that's a that's a main event because that ends the show setting up the yeah that ends the show setting up the uh the main event for the pay-per-view so i believe that ends the show but we'll see cuz hangman's tr- traditionally a start of the show guy all right we are just over an hour um so i think i will let this go um as of right now uh terminus i believe is airing so maybe i'll watch that um i suggest other people too as well but when you by the time you listen to this that that event's already ended so i don't know enjoy rampage